Hello and welcome back to another episode of That Gym Girl Podcast. It is your hostess with the fucking mostess, Angel Wallace Miles. Hi, how are you? I am so excited that you are here with me. Oh my goodness, girls. When I tell you these last few days have been the most interesting, challenging, Oh my goodness, I don't even, I can't even think of another adjective, but they have really tested your home, girl. I have been through the trenches, finishing some of my final uni exams. And to think, I come home after my final exam yesterday and I am just morbidly ill and sick. And what was supposed to be uploaded yesterday is today's episode, which I just could not get out of my bed to even upload the podcast. Oh my God. But I knew I had to get it to you today. So I'm putting my sickness on hold for just a few minutes as I chat with you about today's episode. And today's episode is truly going to be life-changing. And I don't say that lightly. We have Dr. Amelia Thompson on. Yes, fucking Dr. PhD. Oh my goodness. She is a wealth of knowledge when it comes to nutrition and food and exercise and health and really what it means to build a holistic, healthy fitness journey. And so you hear all of these things, you know, if you want to get your dream body, you need to eat X amount of food and you need to have a very strict diet and a very strict nutrition and da, 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 da. But you don't ever hear about the term relationship with food. And I think in the bodybuilding world, in the gym world, in the fitness culture world, a relationship with food can be very, very, very under, underwhelmed or under, underestimated and really not given the credit it deserves because there are so many people I know, you sis listening, where your relationship with food can be challenged, whether it's you experience binge eating or maybe you've experienced an eating disorder in the past or maybe you have restricted yourself really, really badly in the past or maybe it's the present or maybe one day it might just happen in the future for you, unfortunately. I really hope that this episode serves as a little bit of insight and a little bit of a golden nugget that you can use and come back to when you're feeling not yourself. So I really challenge Amelia in this episode and I say to her, look, I get you're a doctor, I get you know your shit, but I need you to break down all of these big topics like binge eating and eating disorders and mindfulness with food and, you know, what the fuck do I even eat? All of these different things and I need you to break them down in a way that we can understand. And that is exactly what she's done today. I am so excited for you to listen to this episode. I'm going to stop rambling. If you like this episode, please share it on your story. Tag at That Gym Girl Podcast at Angel Wallace Smiles. And if you're feeling extra generous, give us a follow or a cheeky five-star review on whatever platform that you're listening to this. Okay, I'm going to let you go. Enjoy the episode. Bye. Love you. Welcome back to another episode of That Gym Girl. I am so so excited because I am not alone today. I am joined by somebody who is, I guess, across the pond. I don't even know if that's the right terminology, but we are virtually Zooming. I am actually here with Dr. Amelia Thompson. Hello. How are you today? Hello. Thank you so much for having me. I am well. Thank you. How are you? 
I'm really good actually. It is nearly my bedtime. I often say that when I do Zoom interviews with guests who are overseas because I feel like the time difference is always a bit bizarre, but I'm really good. I've had I've had a full day and I'm actually just really excited to chat about food with you. I'm, I mean, this is just, I feel like it's just your expertise. Now, before this episode would have started, I would have rambled on about who you are, your qualifications or your knowledge, but I really want to know, Amelia, how would you describe yourself? Oh my gosh, hard question, which is awful <laughs> to say that's a hard question. I would describe myself as um, someone that's just trying to help people improve their relationships with food and themselves in some way, shape or form, whether that be through one-to-one work or supporting, I support a lot of personal trainers who support their clients to do the same thing. Really, I am someone who's just trying to help people find peace in their lives. And I use food and often business as the thread at which I can pull at that allows us to find peace in other parts of our lives. So I'm a nutritionist by trade, um, scientist, I have a PhD in physiology, but realistically now my practice is very holistic. It incorporates, mm. you know, like you said, I love food. It incorporates the joy of food. It incorporates some psychology, some spirituality, training, and the nutrition side of it. It's a very holistic approach. Yeah, I really appreciate the holistic point of view. I've actually got a question that's just kind of popped into my mind and it's a little bit off off the script. But when you were studying, right, I feel like a lot of, you know, listeners might be uni students or people in high school maybe and you think that there's the black and there's the white and there's there's what you know and then there's what you don't know or there's yes and no and that's often the mindset I get into, you know. I look at medicine or I look at science and I think there's a there's a standard answer. Did you ever have that mindset and how did you actually understand to go, oh, actually, I can look into spirituality and that doesn't make me less of a scientist or make me less of a logical thinker? Mm, That's a great question because, yes, I definitely did. So, you know, for reference, I did four year undergrad in science, a one year master's in science, um, a three and a half year PhD in science. And then I taught at university in science. So Mm -hmm. my background is hardcore you know, science. And so for me, I would roll my eyes at anything that was spiritual or religious. I, you know, I respect other people who do those, who practice things, but, and have faith. But for me, I could never understand how it would fit within my life at all. And I couldn't hold space for it. I I, I think part of that is because as scientists, we are kind of indoctrinated into that world of black and white thinking of things are right or wrong, um, evidenced or not. Um, But I think another part of it was, this this need for controlling and control and certainty in my life a lot of us like black and white thinking because it makes us feel safer because it makes us feel like things are kind of known and controlled and realistically it wasn't really until I got into my 30s and I'm now 37 where I discovered mindfulness and meditation and that was through my own journey of my own relationship with food where I was looking at the science and the science was saying well, mindfulness practice might be helpful and I thought oh okay I'll try this. And so I entered that world from a very evidence-based stance. And as I entered it, I then started to feel the benefits for myself of mindfulness practice and self-compassion and the stuff that I would have in the past, definitely called airy-fairy, that colorful, um, not black and white thinking. And then, you know, the more you delve into the research behind these things, the more you see, oh, actually black and white thinking is a really helpful way of thinking for our overall health. And having faith in something bigger than ourselves is actually supportive of our health. And so I definitely initially used science to kind of almost um, 
be a driving force to why these things were okay mm. and I always felt a little bit nervous about talking about it initially when I was a very a very evidence-based and when I first started talking about nutrition all my friends in the world of nutrition were very evidence-based and hardcore science and I was the 81 and I was always a little bit unsure about it whereas now you know I'm, I'm happy to just go forth and talk about it all the time yeah oh that's so intriguing this actually relates so much to a, a kind of scenario that I'm going to bring into your world because basically today I'm totally just taking Amelia on this wild journey. She doesn't know what's coming, by the way, guys. Basically, Amelia, you and I, we're about to go on this this mission. And our mission is that we want to help one woman listening to begin to heal her relationship with food. And I really want to preface on the begin because, you know, we're not going to cure anyone. That's not the point of this. This is just us trying to create that snowball effect for somebody. And it's really interesting that you discuss, you know, mindfulness practices and spirituality and da, 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 because a lot of the questions I get are around, you know, trust around food. So I would love to pose a scenario to you and I want to know where your mind goes to this. So somebody's written in saying, I've grown up in a household with the mindset of out of sight, out of mind, where we basically just wouldn't keep junk food or naughty foods, as they call it, uh, in our house. And if I have them in the house, I feel like I'm just going to binge on them. And I really thought, you know, out of all of the scenarios I'm looking at now, that one came to mind as you were just chatting about binge eating and mindfulness and holistic approaches and da da da. And I'm thinking, where does your mind go when you see a woman chatting about this? I think great question, and and it, this is quite a common situation, you know, for mm. people that have grown up in that type of household where certain foods were demonized whether that was you know out of the house these are junk foods you can't have these or maybe it was a parent who was dieting who said that you know they couldn't have these things a lot of us have um, taken on this understanding of where we can't trust ourselves around these foods and the problem with that is that when we do allow ourselves to have these foods we do tend to overeat on them and that confirms to us that we can't trust ourselves so we have this belief that we've had since we were young and then we take an action to try and counteract that belief but without the understanding of what we're doing so then we always end up overeating and it confirms us and we say no nope, do you know what we can't have these in our house mm. and you know short term that might be okay you know for the next year you might not come face to face with let's try and think of an example for me cinnamon buns I used to overeat on cinnamon buns when I was younger a lot um now I just absolutely love them so we don't have them in Australia we really don't have a lot of cinnamon buns like I didn't know about it until I went to Canada Oh, well, mm. now I feel like that's a good reference point, but they're delicious. Okay, they you can are have really whatever delicious. You want. Mm. <laughs> and um, you know, if you you could probably live for a year without ever seeing a cinnamon bun, especially if you're in Australia, you could probably go your entire life. Right? <laughs> let's let's pick your donuts or something else, right? But ultimately, you can't go for your, your whole life without not having these foods. And it's probably not just one food; it's probably a collection of foods. It's probably more ultra processed foods or foods that are higher in fat or sugar. Usually, these these types of foods. It's impossible to escape these foods and so what's going to happen is you you've created what we call this abstinence violation effect what that really means is it's like the big red button effect if you someone says don't touch it don't touch it don't touch it don't touch it and then you see that big red button you're like i'm just i have to touch it i need to see what's actually going to happen and the same thing happens with food if you tell yourself you can't have it you can't have it you then see it you then really really want it and you maybe have four cinnamon buns rather than just the one and you tend Mm. to overeat so this is really common and and the easiest thing to do that you might think in your head is I'm just not going to keep it in the house, but it's not a long-term strategy, like I said. 
And if, if this were somebody that I, that I was working with or somebody that can do this at home, it's really about starting to develop your trust with those foods again. And not saying I'm going to buy a four pack of cinnamon buns and leave them in my house, but maybe you're going to buy one and you're going to allow yourself to have it. But when you have it, it's going to be quite specific. So you're not going to wait. You're not going to restrict your calories all day because you know you're going to have this calorie dense cinnamon bun. It's the worst thing you can do. You're going to say, right, I'm going to have all of my regular meals. I'm going to make sure I'm satisfied and make sure that I'm not super hungry because I want to sit down and I want to enjoy this food because it's delicious, not because I'm starving. So maybe you do this after lunch, you're working at home or you're studying and you have your lunch. You say, right, okay, I'm, I'm satisfied now. I really want that cinnamon bun, that one cinnamon bun that I bought for myself. So you're going to go down to your kitchen and you're going to you're going to date yourself. You're going to romanticize it. You're going to think this is this delicious thing in front of me. You're going to heat it up. You're going to sit down at your table and you're just going to pay attention to it. And this is what we call practicing some mindful eating. So you're going to smell it. You're going to look at it. You're going to maybe um, taste a little bit by just by smelling it. You're really going to envisage what's actually in front of you. Look at that. And before you even eat, you're going to just take some deep round of breaths. So often when we've restricted for a while, we've not had a certain food for a while, when we allow ourselves that food, we feel a bit anxious around it. And some people who maybe overeat know this feeling of when they overeat, you feel a little bit out of your body. You feel almost like you can't control what you're doing and you get quite anxious about it. So rather than getting into that state, you want to try and self-regulate. And the best way to do that is just to take some breaths. So you can do four breaths in, six four seconds breath in, six seconds breath out. And the longer exhale helps to regulate our nervous system. So we start to feel a bit calmer, soother. Okay, now we're ready to eat the cinnamon bun. And then you're going to taste it and you're going to actually think about what it actually tastes like. Is it sweet? Is it what you expected? What's the texture like? What does it feel like at different parts of your mouth? And you could do it. You could take an hour to eat the cinnamon bun, but let's be honest, no one's got time for that. But you're just going to think about how it actually tastes and you're going to pay attention to it you're not going to be scrolling on your phone at the same time or watching tv you're going to sit with the cinnamon bun and you're going to eat it and you can check in with your hunger throughout if you want to do that like how is this feeling in my belly do i feel more satiated do i feel really hungry as time goes on and then you're going to probably finish it the first time and then you're going to say okay i'll have a hot cup of tea now and i'm going to go back to my work i've got this deadline that i need to do i'm going to step away from the kitchen and go back to my work and set yourself a timer on your phone for 45 minutes and focus on what you're doing. Mm-hmm. And then, because often afterwards is when we start to think, oh, I've had one. And we have this habit loop in our brain of saying, okay, now you need to have more and eat. Now you need to have more. And so for us, it's like, okay, let's distract ourselves in that moment. Or maybe you go for a walk with your friends. But you do something that encourages you to get out of that situation. So you're not constantly thinking about what it is that, you, you know, what you're not eating. Mm-hmm. And you can do that once and give yourself the evidence that you've done this. What you often find when people do this is that they, they'll do it a couple of times and the first few times they might eat more than they planned or they might be overly full. Sometimes people might eat a little bit more. They might do 45 minutes and then they'll go and eat some biscuits that they've got in their cupboard, for example. But over time, the novelty of this food will begin to wear off and the trust that you have in yourself to do this will build up. This is not like a quick fix, one weekend, everything's quote, quote, solved. But you can start to do this and develop your trust and this can then be transferred into other foods. And so you can do the same thing. But the problem is, is often when we do have these foods, it's when we're restrictive. It's when we're hungry and we don't, we we already almost plan to overeat. So we have a lot of it in abundance. We do it on our own because we feel ashamed because we know what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. So it's trying to about, you know, um, counterbalancing all of those things. And then on top of that, you know, showing yourself compassion if you do overeat. You're learning, you're relearning to trust your hunger and your fullness. You're relearning your relationship with food. 
it's totally normal to overeat sometimes. Maybe it's more times than you thought that, that would happen. But over time, this will dissipate. So showing yourself kindness and not speaking to yourself like rubbish every time that that happens, because you think that being critical to yourself is helpful. But usually what self-criticism does is it leads to us overeating more and actually takes mm. us backwards rather than forwards. The key thing that you've said there is the intentionality. I am just kind of mind blown by the fact that I feel like so many of us are just passively consuming food and it just makes me think, you know, literally as you were saying, consciously think about the food, take the breaths before, imagine the food in your mouth, etc. I'm going, oh wow, I'm probably just looking at my phone, scrolling on TikTok, not even knowing how much of the food is left because I'm not even looking at the plate. God knows I can literally pick it up without looking at it apparently I have like peripheral vision and it's just so amazing how you know conscious eating is actually playing such an important role in like our whole nutrition and our whole diet that's so incredible and you know it makes me think about another scenario that one of the ladies has popped around food being a comfort And so, you know, one of these ladies has popped in that they feel they eat during times of stress or during periods of, you know, uni exams, home life drama. They've even said, especially on my period, um, you know, what can they do to not heavily rely on food? And it's making me think, you know, that whole thought of mindfulness, and I don't know your answer to this question, but my, my, you know, thought around this is that whole thought of mindfulness where you can take that step back actually sink into yourself focus on those breaths you were saying four seconds in six seconds out and just actually checking in with you before you deep dive into whatever habitual routine you're going to go into whether it's around eating or whatever your you know uh, comfort is actually taking that step back you know what are your thoughts around comfort food and and this holistic approach to that even I think what you said there is so important. Mindfulness allows you to create that space between stimulus and response, between Mm. craving and action. And it's the hardest thing to do. Creating that pause between stimulus and response is is super difficult, especially with food. Sometimes it feels like it's like a knee-jerk reaction. You don't eat, it takes you, you're halfway through the biscuit tin before you actually realize what you're doing. And then then by that point you feel guilty and then you continue to do it, right? And that's super common. One thing to know with comfort eating is that it's okay. Sometimes it's okay to comfort eat. And lots of us get true, genuine comfort from food sometimes. But it does sound like in this situation, maybe it's the only coping strategy of for stress, for example. And it's important to check in with yourself and say, is this, do I feel soothed after eating this cinnamon bun or do I feel more stressed? And do I then eat more? Because true comfort will allow us to feel soothed shadow comfort is more like it's kind of a distraction it's a numbing technique and that's actually what we want to try and move away from and we can reach for true comfort an example might be for me and this might sound weird to you in australia but like beans on toast for me is like a real comfort oh with cheese Mm. yes 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 real comfort food it's warm it reminds me of being a kid it's easy to make I don't have to do any dishes for me that's true comfort and if I'm stressy or I've had a hard day I will soothe myself with that comfort food that's completely fine for me four cinnamon buns it's going to leave me, leave me feeling uncomfortable that's that shadow comfort that's numbing me from something else and so mindfulness allows you to put that pause in place and ask what do I feel right now And actually asking yourself, what do I feel right now? Or am I hungry for this? These questions, those are two key questions that I love. The other key question that I love is, how do I want to feel in the morning? 
again just kind of thinking about that's your fierce compassion side that's asking about your future self so I still use the how do I want to feel in the morning question myself when I'm stressed and I find myself wanting food because my background is an emotional eater a binge eater that's you know long in my past now but I still have to be intentional with asking how do I want to feel tomorrow so asking yourself how do I feel is is important but then if you say I feel stressed okay well then what do you do for stress and this is a really common conversation I have with people I say okay well what are your other coping strategies and they say what I don't have any and that is the problem so it's one of the problems in that you need to have a toolbox of things that bring you joy that help you relieve stress and if you're somebody who's super super busy your stress reliever might be one of those inversions yoga inversions where you put your feet up against the wall and you just lie on the floor for five minutes that's amazing for regulating our nervous system it's fantastic maybe your stress reliever is going out in nature for you know half an hour maybe it's exercise maybe it is you know I was away with my friend at the weekend she says I have a weighted blanket and an electric blanket whenever Mm. I feel overwhelmed I wrap myself in both and I just lie like a burrito for 10 minutes and then I feel so whatever it may be maybe it's playing with your kids or you know hugging your boyfriend whatever it is but having a toolkit of things that activities that match the feelings that come up for you when you overeat is really really important and then the harder part really I think is then but possible is then creating a new habit loop in your brain because at the moment what happens is your brain says I feel stressed I eat or I feel angry I eat and you've got these these um patterns in your brain that feel very natural and what you want to do is create a new pathway in your brain that says I feel stressed I um, put my legs up against the wall as an example Mm -hmm. but the only way to build that pathway is by thinking about this is what it's going to look like sometimes visualization I'll do visualization with my clients but you know you don't have to think that far ahead it might just be about okay I name that I feel stressed okay I promise myself that I would do my legs on the wall for 10 minutes or that's quite a long time to have your legs on the wall five minutes and you might start to feel a bit uncomfortable um but maybe it's five minutes I promise myself I'd do that and I'm going to do this and what will happen is you will start to build up that routine what will also happen is you will go back to overeating sometimes because that is your ingrained well-trodden path that your brain knows it will feel easy if you're super stressed it will probably go down that road that's not a failure it's just that you're building this new pathway in your brain and it just takes that little bit of time to strengthen it so just keep coming back to that over and over again but I can't express enough need to find other activities and and that is where I think a lot of us struggle how empowering to know that your brain is so malleable you know how how I guess the the perspective shift I'm having having right now you know as someone who has a science background I often just forget this fact apparently that our brains are so incredibly malleable and you know they can seriously the the neuronal pathways or the the patterns in our brains can really be just altered and obviously it does take time and it does take repetition and habits etc but they really can and and what an empowering reminder for all of the women listening we're letting you know that yes you have habits that may be detrimental to you or maybe you know that you're not proud of and knowing that that's okay they're allowed to exist but you have the power within you and you know through other coaches and listening to podcasts to truly convert them is just so so fucking exciting I love that um now I really want to finish today's conversation on something that I think has been a trend for the last god few years and I really I've seen a lot of your content about this and it's made me really excited because I really appreciate you as a nutritionist talking about this and that is the 
dreaded macro count and the fucking step count that we see prescribed everywhere. Hit your X amount of steps and hit your X this and X that. And sometimes it can just feel overwhelming. You feel as if you have to tick every single box. And if you don't, you are not doing this fitness thing right. Let's have a conversation about that. How do you think that, you know, ticking those boxes is actually not adding to your health journey? For sure. So great question too and great topic. I think there is, first of all, there is a time and a place for Mm. things like tracking for some people, for steps, nutrition, et cetera. For sure, it can be a really helpful tool. The problem is, is that it developed in the fitness industry as like the tool. We moved away from meal plans and and silly things like that, which was amazing, and clean eating. Anyway, we moved away from that and we've we've moved on to macro tracking and then everyone's doing macro tracking. And it became the go-to that is the easiest thing for coaches to do. Oh, let's just macro track. And it's it's easier for coaches, but it's not necessarily easier for clients. And Mm. it's often used as a way for people to feel some sense of control with their diet. Um, and so a lot of perfectionists love tracking because it makes them feel like they're doing something right. And so tracking becomes like this kind of all or nothing way of tracking our nutrition. So if we overeat or we go beyond our, our targets, we feel a lot of guilt and shame and then we try and restrict to try and balance it out. And it can become very, very obsessive. And it's what it does is initially it can help with awareness if you don't understand calories at all and you maybe maybe you've got a goal to improve your health and maybe that includes a bit of body fat loss for example you know learning to track your macros and understanding what protein is carbohydrates etc that could be really really helpful but the problem then becomes if you then become reliant on that and you think that you have to hit this meticulous number of calories in order to see change which doesn't happen we know there's huge error in food labels and um calorie tracking as a whole but it becomes quite obsessive and realistically once you know the calories are that are in food you don't need to track them to know how many calories roughly you're eating you, but it, but you lose all trust in yourself and you put it all into this external app and so if you're someone who's been tracking for two years three years you know i know people that have tracked for way longer than that and they say i don't trust myself so i need to track it's like, when do you think you're going to develop this trust? Or do you think you're going to track all the way into your 80s and 90s? Because eventually I would hope that you want to stop that. And yeah, tracking is associated with more disordered eating habits and less positive body image and things like that. Um, but often people who have these struggles will turn to tracking in the first place to try and fix that. Mm. Um, but it often can, it, it can um, be counterproductive to that. So yeah, I think it's the, the problem is really people thinking it's a long-term strategy. For any of these things and it's not it can be a useful short-term tool but it's not something that's supposed to guide you for the rest of your life I love that you keep referring to everything as a tool in in your toolkit because it makes me feel as if I can reach into my toolkit and I can take out you know the screwdriver which is macros or you know the fucking I don't know a wrench I don't know what else is in toolkits <laughs> I was um, wondering what else you were going to say I thought this is good knowledge of tools, I'm very yeah apparently this is i've only got three tools anyway there's a multitude of other ones but you pull it out and it can be mindfulness or whatever but you're allowed to put it back in it doesn't have to be your being and it doesn't have to consume your entire life and i'd really love to close this conversation by asking you know what have you used that's in your toolkit today have you used a practice or something out of your toolkit that you've you know needed to ground you or just to remind you of anything going on in your life 
Sure thing. I have used, I I always try and start my day with some fresh air and outside time. So I've, you know, I get out in nature. So I did a 10 minute walk only this morning for my coffee. I try and do that every day. It was pitch black. That was fine. I thought <laughs> of new nature was there, even if I couldn't see it. Um, I love yoga. Yoga is fantastic. For me, it was a game changer in terms of supporting my mind-body connection. It supports mindfulness. I didn't meditate because I did a little bit with during my yoga, but I would normally do that in the morning. Um, and one thing that for me that I always have always kept consistent, regardless of anything else, is my regularity in terms of my nutrition. I eat really regularly because for me, with a background of um, disordered eating and binge eating, food regularity is number one it's mm. if, if that starts to slip that's when other things can start to slip so it's very difficult to stop emotionally eating or to stop binge eating or to stop being preoccupied by food if you're hungry it just doesn't it just doesn't the two things are very counterproductive so I will always eat regularly so I can do all of my mindfulness practices but I also need to make sure that my body is well fueled especially if I'm doing podcasts and things if we're talking about cinnamon yes. buns I don't want to you're thinking I'm absolutely starving and you just send me so those are my key tools it's only I think two o'clock for me in the afternoon so those are the, the key ones that I've used today so far yes oh, I used the um I used the one where I went outside for a walk this morning unfortunately I have to say it was very sunny and it was by the beach so I'm very sorry <laughs> it's fine I love the British winter it's fine honestly I did four months in the UK or like Europe, but predominantly UK because my family's from there um, this past year in winter. Oh God, girl. Oh God. I <laughs> respect good, it. it. It's intense. It's it's definitely different to what I'm used to. And I, I can see, you know, my grandma talks about seasonal depression and things like that. It is It does really change your mood. So yeah, definitely a lot of respect to my British listeners and to yourself. The, the weather makes a huge difference. <laughs> there's no such thing as bad weather only bad clothing that's what my mom always said that is true big fluffy scarves and a good coat is always the way exactly exactly (laughs) well this concludes and circles up our episode today honestly i know it's been a quickie but it has been so just full of conversation and diversity and i feel like you know everyone's going to get something out of this. And I hope that you and Millie have gotten something and I've definitely gotten something out of this. Um, So thank you so much for coming on. And I genuinely appreciate your time so much. And if people want to find you, I would say Instagram's the best place. I'll pop all the the deets down below. Would Would you say that's the best place to start? Yes, get get on my Instagram. I also have lots of free resources if you want them and articles and stuff on my website. So that's just emilia.fitness. So you can get loads of free downloads on, you know, your relationship with food, journaling prompts, things like that. Girls, get on that shit because I love free things and coming from an expert and it's free. Like, aren't those the two best words you're ever going to hear? <laughs> like, yes. Okay. That will be in the show notes absolutely get a hold of that i hope you have a fabulous day and please go do something for yourself go into your toolbox pick out the tool that you want to use for today even if it's just one thing and follow through okay bye